It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're a part of it tonight. This is the Virtual Bible Study for June eighteenth, two thousand and nine. We're live on your computer tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. And we'll, in a few minutes, I will be joined by my father, Greg Gwynn, and we'll have a special guest tonight. Steve Walker is with the College U Church of Christ this week. He is conducting a special series of lessons uh, in uh, the College U Church of Christ Vacation Bible School. And we would encourage you to come and be a part of those services. You can join in. The last night of the Vacation Bible School will be conducted tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. That'll be Friday evening, June 19th. You can come and be a part of that assembly tomorrow night. We would encourage you to come and be a part of that assembly tomorrow if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area. Steve Walker has been talking this week about the mountains in the events of Christ's life. He began on Monday night with the Sermon on the Mount, and then he talked about the Mount of Transfiguration on Tuesday night, followed then by the Mount of Olives last night and tonight spoke about uh, Mount Calvary, the crucifixion. And then tomorrow night will be uh, the Mount of Olives for the ascension. And it's been a good series, and we would encourage you to come and be a part of that if you can. We would encourage your comments tonight over the phone at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways you join in on the discussion tonight, those contact lists are uh, scrolling across your screen at the bottom of the screen. And, uh, be a part of the program tonight. We encourage your participation. We want to talk tonight about uh, the resurrection. We just got finished hearing an important lesson from Steve Walker. We'll talk with him about it in a minute when he gets into the room. They're concluding the assembly now. When he, But uh, he talked about uh, the crucifixion, about Christ's death. And it is essential for us that Christ was raised from the dead. And we want to talk about the resurrection tonight along those lines. We have been asked the questions. If you are on the update list, you've been asked the questions today. Uh, there were three questions for you to consider. Is the resurrection of Jesus provable or must we simply accept it as a matter of blind faith? That's number one for your consideration tonight. Number two is, what is, in your estimation, the strongest proof of Jesus' resurrection? And number three, how would you answer the skeptics that say that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, that he just appeared dead or was, and was buried and revived and then claimed to be resurrection, that mean, that being he, Jesus didn't die, so therefore he couldn't have been raised from the dead? Uh, the second uh, uh, argument the skeptics might make is that the tomb was empty because the disciples stole the body. That being, the disciples came in the middle of the night while the guards were sleeping. Jesus' body was there. It was still dead. They just took the body, and then when the next morning or whenever the guards came to and realized what had happened, it looked like he had raised from the dead because the tomb was empty. How do you answer that claim? Uh, the third claim that the skeptics will make is that the disciples only thought that they saw Jesus. They were hallucinating. They'd been through a really uh, emotional time in their life, and they were simply hallucinating. How do you answer that claim from the skeptics? And then uh, the fourth is that the story of the resurrection was unknown to early Christians, and it was a legend that developed years later after the fact as Christians began throughout time to cook up these schemes and it is simply a legend or a fable, something uh, along the lines of a Paul Bunyan story or things like that. So how do you answer those skeptics? We want to hear from you on the program tonight with those questions or comments or any questions or comments that you might have as we talk about the resurrection. It is a historical fact that the resurrection did occur, but it is an essential historical fact that we must make sure that we are familiar with and that we're confident in the fact that it really did happen 
as the scriptures tell us. And so we want to hear from you tonight at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. You can also join in the chat room as you'll see the instructions at the bottom of the video screen. Uh, if you're watching us from Ustream.tv, follow the instructions and join in on the chat as the guys are joining us now. I've introduced the topic, uh, gentlemen, and uh, we are ready uh, to begin the discussion. And our listeners are primed and ready for your participation. We should introduce our special guest. And you're, you're making all kinds of racket here. Yeah, we're well, about to, you're about us. to ruin our you're ruining the speakers here. Uh, we should introduce our special guest tonight. Jacob, we've got with us Steve Walker. Steve is a gospel preacher from Sewanee, Kentucky. Sewanee is in east, uh, in western Kentucky near Lake Barkley, for those of you who are familiar with that geography. It doesn't really matter where it is in Kentucky because you can't find it. Well, it, it is out in the country. It's a country place, a beautiful place. And Steve is a gospel preacher there. And the church here at College View has fellowship with him in that preaching work. We help in his financial support as he labors there in the, in the Word of God. And uh, he's been here all week teaching our Vacation Bible School and done a great job as we've been studying important events from the life of Jesus. Steve, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, Greg and Jacob. It's my pleasure to get to be with you this week. Uh, Greg and, and Jacob are, are old friends of mine. It's wonderful to get to visit with them again, and it's my pleasure to get to be with the listening audience in this uh, study as well. Thank you for your lesson tonight, Steve. And um, I'll say this, and you can take it as a compliment. Your lesson made me sick to my stomach. Uh, <laughs> very uh, graphic and uh, detailed uh, account of Jesus' crucifixion, and I appreciate uh, what you had to say. The, the preparation for these uh, lessons last night on Gethsemane and, and tonight on the crucifixion is very emotionally heavy, uh, I, I'll have to say, and uh, left me uh, quite drained more than once. Yes. It is It is a, an amazing thing. It's an awesome thing. As you said, Jacob, it can even be a sickening thing to think of the things that Jesus suffered as he died on the cross necessary because of our sinfulness not because of anything that he did but because of our own wretched miserableness jesus had to die on the cross in order that we could be saved and uh you know i I might just comment on something steve you know sometimes people say well you know we're pretty wonderful we must be pretty wonderful people that jesus would die on the cross for us that means that must mean that we're really something special yeah and i think that's just absolutely backward In my opinion, the way I should view that is I'm a horrible, wretched, miserable sinner, so much so that God's own son had to suffer all those things for me. Yes, as I read a few moments ago in the conclusion that Paul wrote in Romans, the fifth chapter, that God commended his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, we were enemies of God when when Jesus died for us. It wasn't because we had done anything so good or that we're that we're worthy of any such thing but god's love for us is so wonderful he wants fellowship with us and therefore even though, though we don't deserve it we, we 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 do not deserve it at all and yet he's granted redemption from our sins through the blood of jesus well jacob we have all all this week in our vacation bible school here been studying about events in the life of jesus and and the common thread in all of the stories were events that happened on mountains in the, in the story of Jesus' life. And tonight, of course, was Mount Calvary. He died on Mount Calvary. Tomorrow night, we're going to talk about the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended to heaven. Now, there was a very significant event that happened between those two things that is not in our study for, for the prepared vacation Bible school. And so we thought we would make our virtual Bible study deal with that important event. We want to talk about the resurrection tonight. I don't think, Jacob, I don't think that we've ever spent a whole hour talking about the proofs of the resurrection. And that's certainly an important thing. And and our faith depends upon that. If that didn't happen, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, we are of all men most miserable. If we can't prove that there is the resurrection, we have no hope. Our faith is in vain. If, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, our faith is in vain. But yet there are people who say they believe that Christ is the Son of God, and then they deny the resurrection. And that, you can't have it both ways. That that amazes me, Jacob, that men could say such a thing, and they'll, they'll say that uh, it was a resurrection of a cause, or it was it's a figurative thing, and that he did not bodily arise from the dead. Well, the uh, the evangelists who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and then in the book of Acts and the other books of the New Testament, making clear 
the same body that was buried is the body that, that, that came out. That resurrection was a resurrection of his body. And when uh, Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas because he, had, he said, I, I must see the prince of the nails and put my hand into his side or else I won't believe. Well, Jesus showed him the very body. This is what persuaded uh, Thomas that Jesus is Lord and God, that, that it really was true. That body that went into the grave came out of the grave. It, uh, it it amazes me that anyone would deny that it was actually a bodily resurrection. Absolutely. Exactly right. In fact, it, to the Jews, any, any kind of a figurative thing would not have been fulfillment of the prophecies that had been made. Uh, you know, the, the disciples, when they saw him, uh, it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why, do you, why are you troubled and why do your thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said to them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat it before them. Jesus was going to considerable effort to show them, this is a bodily resurrection. This is this is my body resurrected from the dead. Absolutely. And as uh, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost to Jews, he was standing before men who had cried out for the crucifixion of Jesus. And he quoted from David in the 16th Psalm. And uh, among other things, therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption. And then he says, Peter says, David spoke of the Christ that he would not see that his flesh would not see corruption. His flesh would not rot in the grave. And Paul and Peter said, we are witnesses of the fulfillment of what David said, that his soul returned to his body and he arose from the dead. Exactly right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com is the way you join in on the discussion tonight. We'll take a first break, and then we'll come back and get into the discussion with you. Take this time to get in on the phones or send us your email. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues Don't right touch after this. that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and guide the family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight as we talk about the resurrection and the crucial uh, nature it has to our faith. Without it, our faith is in vain. We're talking with Steve Walker from Kentucky, who's with the College of Church of Christ this week, teaching their adult lessons in the in their vacation Bible school. We encourage you to come tomorrow night if you're in the area for the final lesson of that series. And you're hearing some extra background noise because the building is full of people who, and especially young people who've been in our vacation Bible school. So you're hearing some background noise. They, not, didn't talk, not, they didn't teach them not to run in the halls. I don't think so. Tonight. But we won't apologize for having the kids around. So we're right. glad they're here. Jacob, earlier today, as we always do. We sent out some questions to our update list uh, indicating what our uh, topic would be and asking for feedback. Let and me, I have run down those questions in your absence tonight before you got to the room. But you oh, can go ahead and repeat oh, it. Okay. Well, I have. Okay. All right. Well, let's go to the first one then. If you've already indicated what they are, and if you have not sent a, a reply, we'd love to, for you to send us uh, a, an answer to these questions or give us a phone call. But the first question was, is the resurrection of Jesus provable? Or must we simply accept it as a matter of blind faith? Jason in the chat room is in Pennsylvania tonight, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He says, if it's not provable, we are wasting our time with all that uh, we do. Our faith is based on evidence from eyewitness testimony. 
So he believes there is evidence, and if the, if it is not fact, he agrees he's wasting his time. Exactly right. Uh, uh, Jim from Mount Pleasant answers, faith is not blind. Faith is the conclusion brought about by the reasonable examination of the evidence. Hebrews 11 one says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All the information pointed to the fact that Jesus is resurrected. If the skeptics want to prove that Jesus is not resurrected, all they have to do is provide the body. That's, that's exactly right. And that, that was true in the first century. It was true on the day of Pentecost whenever uh, Peter stood up and said that uh, we're eyewitnesses that Jesus rose from the dead. We've seen him alive since he was crucified and that he fulfilled these prophecies of David, which I mentioned a few minutes ago. And that's... Uh, to me, one of the strongest proofs is what Luke has recorded there in Acts, the second chapter, that here were men whom Peter said were guilty. He said, it was you. You are the ones. You did this. And if they wanted to to deny it, and they certainly did want to stop the, the, this teaching, all they had to do was to stand up and object and say, oh, no, no. Let's just go right out here to the garden tomb and we'll show you. Yeah, we've got, we've got a body or, we want you we, to explain. We, we have the body somewhere else. But, you know, those men who had cried out so vehemently a few weeks ago now did not say anything to oppose what Peter and the other apostles said. Now, later on, when Paul preached in, uh, in Athens and he taught those uh, Greek men on Mars Hill about the resurrection of the dead... They mocked. Some mocked when he said that. Here in Jerusalem, nobody mocked. Exactly. Why not? These, these men knew that the body of Jesus was not in that tomb. They, when that tomb was empty, they had a problem on their hands. That's exactly yeah, they right. Would, they would do anything they could to take care of that problem. Exactly. And they wanted to squelch this worse than anything else. I want to talk more about that, but I want to talk about this idea of proving something for a minute. You know, I think, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times I've heard people say, well, you can't prove the resurrection. And what they mean by that is that you can't demonstrate it like it, actually what they're saying is there's you, you can't prove it scientifically you know there is such a thing as scientific proof for instance let's say steve that you I, I told you that you can take water and if you make it cold enough it'll turn hard as a rock and you say i don't believe that uh, i can't a water hard as a rock i don't believe it i said well come on with me and so we we go into a very simple laboratory and we take some water and we put it in the freezer and after some time, we observe it, and it's hard as a rock. And you say, I still don't believe it. I see it, but I don't believe it. Oh, well, let's do it again. And we can do that as long as it takes to convince you that water will freeze and become hard. That's scientific proof. And, and that's how science is done in, yeah. in, in everything. We have this, the scientific method where there, there is testing, and we establish something by the scientific method. And some people think that's the only way there is to prove something, but that's absolutely not the case. That's scientific proof, but that's not the only kind of proof there is in this world. There's such a thing as historical proof. We believe all kinds of things that we didn't see and that we cannot reproduce. Do you believe George Washington was the first president of the United States? I, I, I believe that fully. There's no doubt about it. And you and I have talked a lot about history through yeah, this week. Yeah. We've, been, we've been together, and we talk about so many things uh, that we we know are true, but we don't have to prove them. Yeah, did, they've been established. We never saw it. We never we never witnessed George Washington, but we have no doubt that it is factual that there was such a man and that he was the first president of the United States. It's provable, but then, not not in the scientific method. Right, and, and this is done in in the courts of our land every day, and in, and of every land that that's that's what happens in a court. Sometimes scientific evidence is brought in, but. Many times it's the testimony of people who saw uh, what happened. Saw an event that happened once and cannot be reproduced. Yes. But it's still provable that it happened. I've got some quotes that I think are kind of interesting. I want to read one of them here. Uh, Thomas Arnold, chairman of history at Oxford University, said, I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of, of those who've written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer that the great sign which God had given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Here's a man who studies history. And he says there's, a, there's ample evidence here for a fair inquirer, someone who's not prejudiced. Uh, another man, B.F. Westcott, uh, an English scholar of some renown, said, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. Nothing but the antecedent assumption that it is false 
could have suggested the idea of deficiency and the proof of it. In other words, he's saying the only reason a man would deny this proof is because he, his mind, he had his mind made up beforehand and he wasn't open to the evidence. Uh, an honest man who would allow himself to consider the evidence would conclude Jesus resurrected from the dead. It's provable. Arthur, Arthur Haynes is in the audience. Arthur, you got a comment? Yes, um, in reference to those who had uh, seen Christ after the resurrection in um, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, it begins there in talking about uh, the preaching of the gospel and and uh, it being uh, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and then it says in verse 5 that he was seen of Cephas and of the twelve. And after that he was seen above 500 brethren at once. Of the greater part remain unto the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James and also of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also as one born out of due season. So, you know, how much more proof do you really need than to have that many to see him on various occasions? Exactly right. Exactly right. Powerful evidence there. All right. Thank you for that comment. We look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. What do you believe are some proofs that Jesus did raise from the dead? We'd like to hear from you. I, I, uh, before we move from this first point, that the, that the resurrection is provable, I want us. I want us to emphasize to all, and I, and I think by far the vast majority, if not all, who are listening to us tonight, believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Do not be intimidated by the skeptics. We have the proof. It is, and it is not the idea that we just have to blindly accept it. Well, we just have to just take that blind leap of faith. There's no proof, but we're going to believe it anyway. It's not like that. Isn't that right, Steve? That, that, that's exactly right. It, it's, 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 we have reliable witnesses. Now, one thing about any fact being established is that it's, uh, you not only have witnesses, but you have reliable witnesses. You know, in the trial of Jesus, they brought false, one false witness after another. Well, we have uh, the words of Matthew. We have the words of John. We have the words of Peter. These men were eyewitnesses. Now, if, if they were liars, if they were known to be dishonest people, then uh, we could throw out their testimony. But if we know them to be honest people, then we should believe what they say regarding this. And some have said uh, through history that it was a conspiracy, that they, they made it up, that Jesus arose from the dead. But whenever we read the New Testament, we read the, the, the words of John and the words of Matthew, and we read what Peter wrote, these were men who died for truth. They lived and died for the truth, and they were opposed to all falsehood. Let's go ahead and get into some of those evidences that you mentioned there, Steve. And I believe, Dad, you asked the question, what is, uh, in the estimation of our listeners, the strongest proof of Jesus' resurrection? And we'd like to hear from you. If you have not chimed in, you can chime in in the chat room. Jason has done that in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. His strongest proof in his estimation is the change in the Apostle Paul's life. Steve, how would you, uh, that certainly would be solid proof. Hey, Steve, uh, Jason goes on and says, why else would he be willing to suffer all that he suffered for Christ? I agree that that is among the strongest uh, of arguments. And some have even said just that evidence alone is enough to establish that Jesus arose from the dead. The, the, the tremendous change in the life of Paul that uh, there can be no other explanation for his conversion when he had been so bitterly opposed to Jesus Christ for him to then start preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There can be no other explanation than that the Lord did appear unto him while he was on the road to Damascus, and thus he knows that Jesus did arise from the dead. He is among those eyewitnesses. He uh, he referred to that in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, after he spoke of all the other uh, eyewitnesses. He said that he appeared to me as one born out of uh, due time. So th- that's, uh, that certainly is a, a very strong evidence. Jacob, you know, the, the way that question was worded purposefully implies that there are multiple proofs. We, we're not depending upon just one bit of evidence, just one line of reasoning or argumentation. You know, if you were an attorney in a court of law and you were trying to prove your case, the more bits of evidence and the more lines of reasoning you could bring to bear in regards to the thing that you're trying to, the better, right? Yes. So one, actually one good proof would be sufficient. Uh, and many times court courtroom decisions are, are, are determined based upon just one bit of evidence yes. supplied. But the more, the better. 
the the more arguments you can make, the better. And in the case of Jesus, uh, we have multiple bits of information all leading to that same conclusion. And so that's why I worded the question, what in your estimation is the strongest proof? Because I think because we are different and, and, and we tend to approach things differently, I think that that different different bits of reasoning appeal to different people more yes. so. And and that may very well be why in God's wisdom he supplied lots of kinds of reasoning to prove the resurrection. Um, and we've got a, 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 the answer from Jim in Mount Pleasant. Uh, his answer, what's your the strongest proof of Jesus' resurrection to you? That everything was against the resurrection of Jesus. The Jews knew that Jesus said he would be resurrected, so they set a guard. The fact that the disciples were willing to hazard their lives for Jesus proves they believed he was resurrected. All the Gospels report a post-resurrection Jesus. Uh, you, you know, we might comment on what he said there, that the Jews, they were aware of what he would predicted. You know, they went to Pilate there in Matthew chapter 27. They went to Pilate and specifically asked for the tomb to be guarded. In Matthew chapter 27, the next day, this was the day after Jesus had been crucified, the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together into Pilate saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, now that's how they're referring to Jesus, obviously uh, blasphemously, but, but that said, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he's risen from the dead. So the last arrow shall be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. The Jews knew that Jesus had predicted the resurrection, and they they didn't believe it would happen, but they believed that there might be some foul play. And so they asked Pilate, guard the tomb so that nothing out of the way can happen. Actually, they did us a service by setting a guard. They, uh, not, and when we say guard, we mean a guard contingent, not just one man. Romans didn't didn't guard things that way. They always sent a sufficient number of men to accomplish an assignment. So when they set a guard force at the sepulcher where Jesus had been buried, they actually proved to us, in fact, there was no foul play. They were there and prevented any foul play. This had this had to be a legitimate resurrection when it happened. And it's partially proved by the fact that those who were trying to prevent it actually helped to prove it. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and that was recorded by Matthew, by the way. And I, I want to add this, that uh, regarding the what is written in the evangelist, we have the uh, the Gospels, the Gospel accounts by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of those were apostles and two of them were not. Matthew and John were among these eyewitnesses. Mark may have been one of the eyewitnesses, but he was not one of the apostles. When we read Matthew and we read John, we're reading the account of eyewitnesses. Now, on any uh, anything from history, the historian who's trying to establish what happened, where does he go first? He goes to those who saw. He goes to those who were eyewitnesses. And wrote. I spoke with with some in the audience during the uh, our lessons this week, and and to some privately about the work of the historian Josephus. And the work of Josephus is just uh, so wonderful historically. He was a good historian. He wrote about the Jewish wars. When he wrote, he was a primary source. He saw these things of which he wrote, and so. They're regarded as regarded to be reliable. That you couldn't get better testimony than this. Well, so it is with Matthew and John. That's not to disparage at all the words of Mark and Luke, for they were friends of of Peter and of Paul. They were close friends of Peter and Paul. So their testimony is value, but it is secondary. So, so I say, uh, the, 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 to me, the strongest is the words of these two apostles. Well, you think, as you said clearly, in a, in a court proceeding. If you were an eyewitness, your testimony would be very important. But my testimony might also be important if you told me what you saw. In other words, they might call me to the stand and say, did, did, did Steve ever tell you that he saw this or that happen? Oh, yes, he told me just immediately. As soon as it happened, he was telling me what he had seen. So although I might not have been a firsthand eyewitness, my testimony would still be important if I knew an eyewitness 
and, yes. and, and had talked to such a person. Exactly right. And we, and we think about Luke, uh, who was a friend of Paul and also knew Peter and, and others of the apostles. He wrote the book of Acts, and he wrote the words of Peter. So there you have the, the words of an eyewitness as recorded by a friend of the eyewitness. And, and that is very strong, especially when we look in some ancient document about some, something from ancient history. If we have testimony that good, even from, from one person who was a friend of someone who was directly involved in the study of history, that is regarded as very reliable. So we have a number of wonderful uh, witnesses here. We're up against our break at the bottom of the hour. We'll take that, and we'll come back and continue the discussion, and we'll hopefully hear from you. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. On a trip a few years ago, we pulled into an old-fashioned gas station in a small town. An attendant was waiting at the pump to service. He took our order, and while the gas was being pumped, he busied himself cleaning our windshield. Our then-teenage daughter was shocked. She kept saying, he's actually cleaning our windows. What used to be the norm is now so rare that it seems shocking. The same sort of thing happens in religion. Over a period of time, gradual and minor changes can lead folks far away from where they used to be. It finally gets to the point that what used to be the norm now seems odd, even shocking. Things that never would have been tolerated years ago gradually crept in, and now they have become totally accepted. A good example of this gradual shift of norms can be seen in the matter of instrumental music. Few people realize that there was a great fight over this issue years ago, even among the denominations where it is now common. For instance, William Posey in his history, The Baptist Church in the Lower Mississippi Valley, writes, quote, For years the Baptists fought the introduction of instrumental music into the churches. Installation of the organ brought serious difficulties in many churches, unquote. But if you talk to a Baptist today, he would think it very odd to even suggest a religious service without instrumental music. You see, the norms have changed. It can happen to us, too, and it is. Simply observe how brethren talk and dress, where they go and what they do. Try to call them back to what used to be the norm, and they will treat you as if you are crazy. It is apparent that many are allowing gradual changes to take them farther and farther away from the absolutes that God has stated in his word. We need to ask for the old path, where it is the good way, and walk therein, Jeremiah 6, verse 16, and stop drifting from God's norms. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Hey, welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad that you are tuned in, and we hope that you'll comment on our program tonight. As we talk about evidences for the resurrection, and the chat room has got some chatter tonight. David in Cookville, Tennessee, says that the resurrection is crucial. By the resurrection, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God, Romans 1, verses 1 through 4. Salvation was made a real possibility, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Jesus was able to establish his church, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and we have hope of our own resurrection, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We appreciate those comments from David tonight, and we have comments from uh, John uh, also, I believe, in, in Indiana. Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, to me, the most compelling evidence is what the witnesses were willing to suffer for their testimony. Would you be willing to uh, die for a lie? You know, that's uh, I got to I got to agree with John on that completely. To me, that to me, this is the greatest proof. Now, as I said, you know, different forms of proof are are compelling to different people. But to me, the lives of those uh, apostles and what they were willing to suffer. Now, don't forget that when Jesus was arrested in Matthew 26, verse 56, it says all the disciples forsook him and fled. We, we often emphasize Peter and his very vocal denial of Jesus, but this says that they all forsook him. Maybe John, uh, not as much as some of the others, but they, it says they all forsook him and fled. So here are these men, and I think, I think a fair description of them at this point, Steve, would be that they were cowardly deserters. 
I don't want to be too hard on them because I'd have been running out in front of them. I'd have been running faster than they were. But but I think it's a fair description to say they they were cowardly and deserted Jesus in this cr- crucial hour. Well, it it's it shown uh, especially especially in Peter, in, in as much as he denied the Lord as the Lord said that he would. Uh, so uh, then he he also even cursed and swore. Well, that was not at all in keeping with with the character of the Lord and what he wanted Peter to be. And of course, uh, Peter uh, repented and, and he. He did the beating of the Lord, uh, but uh, all of them fled. And yes, that that was a cowardly thing. And and Peter had been the most vocal to say that that he would not uh, leave the Lord. He would not flee. He was willing to go with him uh, even uh, unto death. But uh, but all of them felt the same way that no, we're not going to desert the Lord. And yet they all did flee away. And and there can be no other explanation that, but that then, they were fearful. Then those men who I, and I don't want to be unfair or unkind to them because, as I said, I'd have been more cowardly than they. But th- those men who had been cowardly deserters then, not many days later, were willing in the face of the very same men who condemned Jesus to death, in the face of those very same men, were will- they, they said, uh, it, for instance, in Acts chapter four, verse twenty. The things that we cannot but speak, the things which we have seen and heard. And then in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Those men said, we straight, we, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And, and Peter says, we cannot, we've got to obey God rather than men. So in the, these men who had formerly been cowards, now in the face of that same Jewish counselor saying, do what you want to to us, but we've got to tell you what we saw. Uh, let me inject that uh, that on the day of the night after the Lord's resurrection, that, that they were uh, that they were in a place together, and uh, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. They were in fear uh, after the, the death of the Lord. They were in fear at the time of his his death, and they were in fear after his death. But then, uh, after they had seen the Lord, they were willing to boldly declare, no matter what it might cost them, even if if they were to. Uh, if the Jews were to treat them as they had the Lord himself, they were going to declare the truth. We cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Imagine this scenario. So the day, the day or two after Jesus had been crucified, the apostles are together, and they're in a quandary as to what happened. Maybe Peter gets up and says, listen, men, I got an idea. Now, we know Jesus is dead, and we know he's going to stay dead. But let's let's conspire together to tell a lie. Let's say that we saw him, that he was resurrected. We know that he wasn't, but let's say that he was, because I think we might be able to make some money on this deal. You know, Mm -hmm. we might get people to pay us money to hear our story. We could Mm -hmm. become rich and famous. We'd get on a lecture tour. We could tell people what we supposedly saw. Now, we know we didn't see it, but let's say that we did. What do you think, men? And the others say, okay. I'm with you on that, Peter. We'll give it a try. And so they go out and they begin to tell this lie that they'd seen resurrected Jesus. But instead of getting rich and famous, what they get instead is they start being beaten and thrown in jail. Some of them are beginning to be put to death. What would happen if, it, if in fact, it had been a lie and they knew it was a lie? What would happen? Well, you know what would happen. They would have said, hey. This is not working. uh, I'm out of here. Forget it. I'm gone. But they never stopped telling that story. To the point of death, they continued to tell that story. They knew it was true. They were not dying for a lie. They knew it was true. And their determination to see it through, to me, is the strongest proof. Yes, and and there were 12 of them. There were not just a couple, but there were 12 of them, Matthias having taken the place uh, of Judas. You know, I, I've, I've heard an old proverb, not a biblical proverb, but that uh, that two may keep a secret if one is dead. <laughs> but, that uh, so, that someone's going to squeal if a conspiracy is made up. Is made up eventually. Someone is going to tell. And under the persecution that these men suffered. Uh, they were, as Paul ref- referred to themselves, as the off- the offscouring of all things. That's how the world regarded them, and they were persecuted even uh, unto death. And and we read of the, the very deaths of some, such as 
uh, as James, whom Herod put to death with the sword. And yet they they continued to affirm that they had seen we Jesus know, alive after his death. As you say, we have some inspired information on what became of some of them. But, yes. but we also have uninspired historical ev- information that others died. In fact, history typically confirms that all of the original apostles died violent deaths for the cause of Christ with the exception of the Apostle John. Yes. Uh, Greg, let me say something. This is related to my lesson tonight, something that I did not uh, specifically bring out. But the crucifixion was uh, used. I did say that it was used to strike terror into the hearts of men. Here, here's an illustration it was used many times to put down slave rebellions. Now, a man who lived as a slave uh, had no hope in life, and he might think, well, there's there's no reason for me not to rebel against my master, uh, to run away. Well, the Romans used crucifixion in order to discourage that. A man who was a slave would would labor for the rest of his life in slavery rather than face the cross. Now, here a few weeks after Jesus has been crucified, Peter, who who had denied the Lord, stands up before the very men who said crucify him and affirms that Jesus arose from the dead. Now, do you not think that these very men would have also crucified uh, these these they had the power to do it to Jesus. Jesus. They had the power to do it to Jesus. They certainly yes. had the power to do yes. it to his disciples. And, uh, and and crucifixion was what struck such terror. And yet these men, knowing, you know, Jesus had had even told them that they would be persecuted as he was. That that uh, that uh, that uh, as they persecuted the master, they would persecute servants. And yet Peter and all of these other apostles stood up and affirmed the resurrection of Jesus, even though they knew these are the very men who, per- who crucified our master, I would face crucifixion for the affirmation of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So it was, it was designed to control people yes. and to put fear into those who watched the crucifixion, and it would certainly put fear into you, but they were so determined that they were willing to face uh, that punishment. Excellent point. I think Arthur has a point. Go ahead. Okay. Yes, I think one of the better examples is the critics or the enemies of Christ in what is said there in the latter part of the chapter. Speak right to that mic, Arthur. Yeah, in chapter 28 of uh, Matthew, it says uh, when that uh, they were come to the city, they showed the chief priest all the things that were done, and they were assembled. They assembled the elders and had taken counsel to give large sums of money to the soldiers saying uh, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took, took this large sum of money and did as it were taught. And the saying was commonly among the Jews to this day. Here the critics even, you know, they recognize the fact that he had that he had risen they, from the grave. They, well, they at least acknowledged yeah. the empty tomb. Uh, right. and, and they paid a bribe to the soldiers in order to get them to tell a lie, That's the enemy. to cover it up. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. That's right. I think Jared's got a point, Arthur. All right. You guys made a point earlier about the the apostles' willingness to die for something, and obviously that would show that they, they believed in, in what they were willing to die for. That's also confirmed by the Jewish leaders. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were for the Jewish leaders, and they're trying to decide what to do with the men. And Gamaliel says... Um, in verse 38, he says, Leave them alone. If their plan comes from men, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. You might even be fighting against God himself. So I think that even Gamaliel is have, saying that if these men are willing to die for this, then it's something that is from God. And you but can't do anything about it. You're right. And notice that Gamaliel leaves Gamaliel, who was the most probably the most respected of their of their teachers, said he left open the possibility this could be from God. And if it is, you don't want to be seen fighting against it. He didn't say, this is a fraud, this is a fake, and we all know it. He had to leave open the possibility, this may be from God, and if so, you do not want to be fighting against it. All right, good point. All right, we need to take our last break, and we'll go to the top of the hour talking about the resurrection. It is an important discussion because without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. 
everything that we believe and everything that we're doing in the cause of Christ is in vain if he is not raised from the dead. So stay tuned. We'll continue the discussion right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. You just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College View Church of Christ. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We will remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We're talking with Steve Walker from Swanee, Kentucky. He is here conducting the vacation Bible school that's going on. At the College of Church. By the of way, Jay, we've got one more night. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area and able to attend, we invite you to come tomorrow night at 7 o'clock for the final episode of our Vacation Bible School. As we said earlier in the program, tomorrow night's lesson will be about Jesus ascending from Mount, the Mount of Olives to heaven. There's a, there's a lot to, lot to think about relative to that, and Steve will be teaching the adult class tomorrow night concerning the ascension of Jesus. That is at 7 p.m. Tomorrow so evening, and find out directions to the meeting place of the College View Church of Christ by visiting collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Please come. You'd be benefited by your presence here tomorrow night. We're going to run out of time in a hurry here, Jacob. Let's go quickly. I asked the question, how would you answer the skeptics who say, here's the first thing. They say Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He appeared dead, but he wasn't really dead, and they buried him. He revived, and then... It, because he he saw some maybe personal advantage to doing so, he began to falsely claim a resurrection, although he never even been dead. How would you answer that? Uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant said no one in their right mind would suggest that a person could get better by being placed in a tomb. He was brutally beaten before being placed on the cross. The Romans were professionals at crucifying people, and the guard ensured that Jesus was dead by piercing his side with a spear. There's a greater miracle in Jesus supposedly staying alive through all that than actually dying. And I, uh-huh. I've heard that point made before. You know, someone sort of tongue-in-cheek says, Steve, if that's the case, that may be a greater marvel than the resurrection. Oh. Uh, and that is tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but it's, 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 it's ludicrous impossibility. Well, uh, look, Pilate is the one who had given the order that he could be crucified, reluctantly so. But nonetheless, Pilate was the most powerful man in the land. He was the Roman governor. And he had to give the approval for the body of Jesus to be taken down, and he wondered that he was already dead. See, Pilate said, I must be certain. They went through all the checks to make sure. Uh, yes, all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. And, and then if a man were taken down from the cross to be buried when he was not yet dead, when the governor himself had said, it, it must be certain. It, well, it's ridiculous. You know, for that uh, theory to hold up, we just have to just throw out everything that we have from, from the eyewitnesses. So that, that's grasping, uh, grasping not, at straws. It, it, it certainly is. That's just a prejudice of someone who just does not intend and to. And if you can go through what uh, Jesus went through, as you detailed in the lesson tonight, uh, Steve, if you can go through that and placing you in a grave will revive you, then when we're deathly ill, that we don't need to go to a hospital. Somebody needs to dig a hole in the ground and put us in it. We'll get, we'll get well. There's there's recorded in history how that uh, on one occasion uh, three men who were crucified received a pardon, and they had only been in the, been on the cross for uh, two or three hours, and so they were taken down. Two of them died anyway. Yeah, yeah. and I think that account says. Uh, the Romans were bu- brutally efficient at crucifixions. Victims did not escape with their lives. Right. They, I mean, the, the Romans knew how to kill a man, and they knew how to confirm he was dead, and they did. It, again, here the enemies of the cause 
provide confirming evidence. Jesus was dead. This idea that he survived, you know, there's been a long-standing argument that this so-called swooned theory. He didn't die. He swooned, or he, he, he you know, he was hurt badly. His uh, uh, his heart rate. You, you probably would have had great difficulty finding a pulse. His breathing was very shallow and not observable. And so they uh, they weren't very advanced in their medical know-how, and they assumed he was dead when he wasn't. They put him in the tomb. He revived, and he got himself out of there. That's amazing. I mean, first of all, don't forget he was in that tomb, bound up in grave clothes. We're supposed to believe that a man that badly wounded could get himself out of the grave clothes, push the large stone out of the way, and get out of there without being seen by the Roman guards. That's crazy. Oh, that, that's just again, it's just to, to throw out the words of the eyewitnesses. Uh, Jason in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, says that this theory that he was not really dead is so against what history records. He says the Bible says Jesus was dead and that a Roman soldier even pierced his side to make sure the Jewish Talmud says that Jesus was killed and even Roman historians. He uh, cites Tacitus, who says uh, Christ, uh, for whom the name uh, Christians had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of the procurators, Pontius Pilate. And so Roman history records that Jesus was, in fact, dead. John said that when his side was pierced, there came forth blood and water, indicating that the pericardial sac uh, around Jesus' heart had broken. It's the only place where they could have been, at that point, produced a visible flow of blood and water. Yes, and uh, no one could recover from that. Right. They, they actually, his heart had actually been pierced with the sword. And yeah. So, yeah, not going to be alive at that point. We're not getting you. Go ahead and flip that all the way up to the top. There, there, you're on now. Uh, Matthew, I mean, Mark 15 and verse 25 said it was the third hour and he was crucified. And then we come over to Matthew uh, 27 and verse 46. And the ninth hour is when he had passed saying, my God, my God, where art thou forsaken me? So he was some six hours hanging on that cross, all the beatings, and put in a tomb, and then he would survive. That's that, just that, unreal. It would take, it would, it, it would be a, you know, some people think that we make a, a blind leap of faith to believe in the resurrection. It would take a blind leap of faith to believe that story for sure. All right, quickly, we're going to run out of time. What about the skeptics who argue the tomb was empty because the disciples stole the body? So they, and so some people say, well, okay, we, we'll have to grant this, the empty tomb, but it was empty because the disciples stole the body. You know how old that story is? It goes back to the day of the resurrection. You read it uh, earlier, uh, Arthur. That's what the Jewish leaders bribed the Roman soldiers to say concerning how the tomb got empty. They didn't deny the empty tomb, but they said the, the, the disciples stole the body. So here's the deal. These Roman soldiers are guarding the body. So the disciples of Jesus come in, they're going to steal the body. Let's say that the Roman, first of all, Roman soldiers didn't fall asleep on the job. They were under too strict of a discipline to that, but let's assume they did. They fell asleep. The disciples are able to tippy-toe past them and get to the tomb. Then they have to roll this huge stone out of the way, being quiet not to wake the sleeping guards. Well, okay, let's say they did. They get inside, and they get the body, and they start out. Oh, wait a minute. John says the grave clothes were left behind. For some unknown reason, they decide to take time to unwind the body of of its grave clothes. They carry the body out, tiptoeing again past those sleeping guards so as to not wake them while carrying a dead body, and they succeed in doing it. Do you believe that story? Well, you know... (laughs) Furthermore, regarding the soldiers, said that they were told they were paid to testify that the disciples stole the body while they were sleeping. How did blind? How does sleep, <laughs> a sleeping man testify as to what happened while he was asleep? You can't do it. You might assume. You might guess, but you couldn't testify about it. The uh, the apostle John, in in his account uh, of uh, the empty tomb, said that what he saw in the tomb before he ever saw Jesus. Uh, alive after his death, what he saw in the tomb was enough to persuade him Jesus had arisen from the dead. Exactly right. Uh, uh, anybody else got a thought, Jacob? We have time to take your calls over, over the phone or take your email. We have uh, Jason in Pittsburgh agrees that how in the world would they get past the guards? Um, he said if you were a guard in a Roman uh, army and you were caught sleeping on your duty, you would get the reward of losing your life. 
Exactly as a right. result of falling asleep on the job. That's right. Uh, we have, actually have a Bible account of that in Acts 12. When the guards who were supposed to keep Peter in the prison didn't succeed, they were put to death for failure. Uh, Jason in Pittsburgh says, if the resurrection happened, see, uh, no, John, excuse me, John in Indiana says, why do you think men to go to such straight lengths to disprove the resurrection? It is because of what the resurrection means. Uh, if the resurrection is true, then Jesus' word is true, John 2, verses 19 through 22. I think he's right. The skeptics know, Steve, that this is the heart of the gospel. You, and that's why it has been under such attack for so long. They, the skeptics know what we know. This is crucial to our faith. If we have the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as a true fact, then we have the, the truth of all the things which Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke of what Moses wrote. Moses wrote about the creation of the world. If Jesus arose from the dead, then the the story of Genesis is true. The words of Exodus and Leviticus and everything all the way to Revelation is true. The truth of the Bible rests upon the rock-solid foundation of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I know a man once said that in answer to the question, how do you know that Genesis 1 is true, that God created the world? He said, I know it because Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, you prove that you prove the whole Bible. That's exactly right, and that, that's why I have, uh, have have said to people, I can prove that the Bible is true. That that is our greatest piece of evidence. It's so such a solid truth as far as its uh, historical foundation is concerned. Now we don't need scientific proof. It is historical proved, historically proved as good as any fact from history. Jake, real quickly, we had the question. How do you answer the skeptic who says the disciples only thought they saw Jesus? They were only really experiencing hallucinations. It was just imagination. It was just their imagination. They hallucinated. Jesus didn't really resurrect. They were just imagining that they saw it. Whenever a person hallucinates, each person's hallucinations are unique. These men all testified the same thing. Uh, so uh, that's uh, another grasping if, if, at straws. Let's say that you and I are the mental, the disordered mental sort to have hallucinations. Mm-hmm. That's that's fairly rare, actually. But let's say that you and I are such people. There are people who have hallucinations. Let's say you and I. What are the chances that you and I would have hallucinations simultaneously and see the same thing well, in our we might, hallucinations? We might say it like this. What's, what, what are the chances of two people having a dream the same? You, know, you wake up in the morning and your wife says, I was having a terrible dream. You say, I was too. And you, you check your story and they're exactly, you were dreaming the happened. exact same. It never happens. But in the case of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus appeared to about above 500 people at one time. So here you got 500 people together, all of them of the sort who have hallucinations, and they all simultaneously have a hallucination seeing the same thing identically. And Paul wrote that. He, he said most of those are still alive. Yeah, go ask him if you want to. All right, we're just out of time. we got one more question. How would you answer the skeptic who says the, the story of the resurrection was unknown to early Christians it was a legend that developed after many years. It, it came along later. The first century Christians, if they knew, if they heard us talking about what we have talked about tonight, the resurrection, they said, what? We never heard of anything like that. That's what some skeptics say, Steve, that the story of the resurrection developed centuries later. It wasn't even it wasn't being taught or believed in the first century. We read in Acts, the second chapter, as I referred to earlier, that uh uh, David predicted hundreds of years before that it was going to happen. Those words of David in the 16th Psalm were written centuries before. And Peter stood up and affirmed that they had been fulfilled. And in addition to that, Jesus, for months before, had been telling his disciples that this was going to happen. Uh, that, that's, uh, that just uh, cannot be. It, it denies the whole story in the New Testament. It denies yes. all the eyewitnesses. It denies what you said just a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said most of those 500 witnesses who saw Jesus are still living. Go ask them. Yes. And that proves that this resurrection account was being circulated within the lifetime of the people who were eyewitnesses to it happening. That's exactly and, right. And this claim that it was a legend that developed later is just foolishness, and it's not true to history. It, it, it verifies what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You can throw your Bible away. Uh, you ought to throw it away right now. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, it's all worthless. It's not worth the paper it's printed on. That's exactly right. Jacob, but we're, it looks like we're out of time. 
We are out of time. Thank you, Steve, for joining us on the program tonight and for your good lesson tonight, and uh, we look forward to another good lesson tomorrow night. Thank you, gentlemen. I want to say that I, I do appreciate the, the good work that uh, you men do on the virtual Bible study. It's been my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. One more night, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock tomorrow night. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, come and join us at the College View Church of Christ. All right. Thank you for your time tonight. We look forward to you joining us again next week on another edition of the virtual Bible study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, Study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.